It's time to get real with Robin. Join veteran broadcaster Robin Cote and her co-hosts, known as The Collective, as they delve into subject matters that most are afraid to talk about, but need to hear. And now, get ready to get real. We never really know what someone's going through in their life. We don't know the stories they have to tell of where they've been and what they've experienced. But everybody does have a story to tell. And, you know, sometimes I'm extremely lucky that I get to meet these people in real life in my studio. They come in for shows. They talk about things that are pretty normal stuff. But then off the air, we start to have conversations that sometimes can be very mind-blowing. Because when you look at that person, you say to yourself, you went through all of that shit and here you are doing things in your life, making a difference, and you're being vulnerable enough to share those details. And, you know, I hear this a lot from women. They tell their stories all the time. But as we've expressed on this show many times with some of my male cohorts, men don't usually talk about the tough stuff they've gone through. They've been told, suck it up, buttercup. You're a man. You're not strong enough if you cry. You're not strong enough if you're telling those stories about that kind of stuff you've been through. But, you know, I disagree about that. The way I raised my son, I told him, look, if it's in your heart to cry about what you've been through, that's what you need to do because crying is where it all starts. That's how you heal yourself from the inside out. And most men have been raised in generations where they're not allowed to talk about things. And I just don't like that. And when I hear these stories coming from the men that I meet, as again, I am mind blown. And today, my co-host, Will Rogers, is one of those men. <laughs> he showed up here to take part in a business podcast to talk about what he does for a living. But after the mics were turned off and the lights were dimmed, Will shared a lot of what he had been through. And the only thing I could think of was, you need to be here to talk because you are one of those men that is not afraid to be vulnerable and open and to share what you've been through. Now, the conversation started off as what I thought, you know, he was a life coach just by what he was talking about. And I talk about these things a lot on the blogs about yourself, how you heal yourself, self-love, everything. But then after he goes through that, he starts talking about his childhood, what he went through, everything he struggled through, and even the thing that caught my eye most spending time in a mental institution in order to get himself right again. So Will is here today. And he's going to share his story with all of you and show you that it's okay to not be okay. And then it's okay to do what you need to do to be okay. So, Will, welcome to Get Real. (laughs) Thank you for having me on. Like I said, when I first met you, I had no clue. And most of the time in life, we judge the book by the cover. We don't think that there's anything more below the surface. And first of all, I really do appreciate how open and vulnerable you were with Paul and I that day after the show and that's why you are sitting here with me today. Yeah, I kind of, I'm not ashamed of everything I've been through in my life. I think it's uh, gotten me to where I'm at now, and it's made me who I am. Um, as corny and cheesy and cliche as that sounds, it's, uh, it's honestly got truth. It's just a matter of how you deal with the things that you uh, run across in life. And the first thing you said out of your mouth that really caught me by surprise was, uh, I don't even think you were born at this point, and your father was taken from you. Yeah, so um, when I... Uh, 
when I was uh, negative one month old, you know, hadn't been born yet. Um, my father was, I mean, he drank a lot. My mom was young. She was 17. My dad was 22. And um, he uh, went out partying with his, with, um, with my uncle. Um, they lived in separate homes. Um, and my uncle dropped my dad off at his house. And my dad lived with his biological mother and stepfather. And my uncle lived with his biological father. Um, and the odd thing is they lived like two blocks away from each other. Um, but my uncle dropped my dad off. And by the time my uncle got, uh, got home, my, uh, my dad's stepfather had shot and killed him. They'd gotten a fight. Um, I mean, I guess that was the, I, I didn't hear that story, uh, first. Um, you know, I mean, I think my mom told me the first time I, I ever talked about my dad was probably seven or eight years old. I uh, never even saw a picture of him until I was like 21. But, um, you know, so there was a, a lot of confusion in what had happened and and uh you know over time i realized that you know that was my dad's fault he he brought that on himself um and i, I you know obviously i didn't come to that conclusion until later on in life uh so one of the things we talked about last time was like how you use things as a crutch in life mm-hmm. and uh which is uh it's the wrong way to go about you know going through negative situations in life um but um, I used it as a crutch forever until I realized that it was my dad's fault. He brought that on himself. Every consequence has a, you know, every action has a consequence. So uh, that was the consequences of his bad decisions. So. So how was it like growing up without your father? I mean, I can't even fathom the idea. I raised a kid on my own. And even though his dad and I split up when he was only two, I still was able to talk about his dad in the right light in order for him to understand that he did have a father, even though his father was not a good man, yeah, uh, and he was absent from his life for many years. But how how was that like growing up for you? I'm sure you were asking questions all the time. I mean, you know, I really didn't ask that many questions. You didn't? No. Um, it's almost like, I guess we'll go into this too. I guess, but holding things in your whole life, you know, it kind of all comes to a boiling point at some time. You know, that you can only hold so much in. So I, I had this way of compartmentalizing emotions. Um, almost like it never even happened. Uh, so, I mean, that's, that's how I approached it most of my childhood. And then at 18, I started thinking about it more and more. Um, and, you know, then you play the blame game and the anger game. You go through the range of emotions like you would with any, anything. Like it, it, it hits you because you know how to process the information that you've been given as a child. You know, you start to understand how the world works and how life works. So, but, uh, but yeah, I um I get off on tangents sometimes, so you have to forgive me. That's okay. My, my brain's in overdrive twenty four seven. So this is your show to talk <laughs> about what happened in your life, and I'm just curious. Did that? Because I I always hear this thing that you you should grow up with a two parent household, especially if your boy. You should have a father present. But I don't always agree with that, and I don't know if that affected you not having a father figure around, or if your mom maybe brought other men around that were father figures or maybe even uncles or anybody that stepped in to help with that? So uh, that's a, that's a good question. And that's a good, good point. Um, you know, obviously if my father had been around, who knows what my life, it, obvious, I mean, it would have been different, you know, no mm-hmm. doubt. Um, because my mother had to go about life a different way after that too. So, and I thought about that every once in a while, being a father myself now, like, you know, what would my life have been and my, in, in all reality, my father was an alcoholic and, and abusive. So my life probably and more than likely would have been a lot worse than it was growing up, because um, even though my mother later on in life, we didn't have a good relationship. 
uh, as a as a child, she she really did everything she could to play both roles. Um, she had me in every sport you could possibly think of. I, I can honestly say 100% surety she never missed a game that I had, basketball, baseball, football, whatever it was, she was there. Probably, my, probably cheering louder than anybody as well, you know. Um, she got me – she sacrificed a lot for me. She got me into a private school so I didn't have to go to public school. She thought that would be better for me, um, you know, and, and – now being an adult and understanding the cost of things and what you have to do for your kids. Like I look back in hindsight and go, Holy cow. Like she really sacrificed a lot for me. I I can sit here and say every Christmas you'd have thought we were millionaires. You know, Mm -hmm. I don't, I don't know how my mother got that money, you know, but, but she always made sure that my birthdays and Christmas and everything was as special as it could be. Almost like, you know, in hindsight, looking back, like she was trying to make up for the fact that I didn't have a father. Um, and she did a really good job. And um, my grandmother helped out a lot, too, that she lived right down the street from us growing up. And uh, my family wasn't the greatest. They fought all the time. But at the end of the day, they showed me, you know, as much love as I could have possibly gotten as a child. So. And your mother never talked about your father at all? No, never. Wow. Maybe just because he met with the violent end, you know, to protect you, I guess? Yeah, I mean, my mother did the same thing that, I mean— did the same thing I did most of my life. I think she just harbored a lot of her emotions inside and didn't let people see it. Um, I mean, I remember finding alcohol in the closet and you're looking for a Christmas gift and you're like, what are these, you know, wine coolers doing in here? And I'm not saying she was an alcoholic at that point, but she coped in her own way, you know, and she, she was very adamant about not letting people see her emotions. So um, that's kind of tough to grow up with because we do model a lot of what our parents show us. Yes, we and, do. And it becomes our coping mechanisms as well. Correct. Whether and, they're healthy or not. Yep. And, and that kind of ties into, you know, you mentioned earlier, you said a sane asylum. That makes me sound like or a mental no. institution. Well, it, 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 is it was. I mean, in all reality, it was. Mental health. Mental clin- health clinic. clinic. Okay, yes. we'll use that terminology. <laughs> but, because, you know, things change. They call it yeah, different no, things. Yeah, no, I'm just messing around. But <laughs> I kind of like asylum, though. It kind of sounds pretty does, wicked, you know. I mean, it does sound wicked. <laughs> um, but that kind of tied into, like, later on in life, you know, I started, as much as you don't want to admit it, it was part of, like, I, we were talking about, you know, off the record last time is, coming to terms with who you are and being honest with yourself how are you supposed to be honest with anybody else or or or, you know what I mean like you have to be honest with yourself first and all of a sudden it was like I was on the outside looking in wondering why you know my life hadn't been bad but you know like I said use things as crutches your whole life so it's like why haven't why hasn't this happened for me why why has it always happened for these people and what you know what am I doing wrong like this person must not like me, you know, I don't know. You just, everything is everybody else's fault your whole life. And at some point, uh, hopefully, you know, we all sit back and have that moment of reflection where we're like, you really start thinking hard about why, you know, the real why. And, uh, and it all comes, it all came back to me, um, came back to, you know, the fact that I was, I was, I had to come to terms with, it. I was lazy. You know what I mean? I, I didn't have any drive or willpower to like, if it got hard, I quit, you know? Um, but you're not alone in that. A lot of people no, do that. No, a lot of people, yeah. a lot of people do that, but it still doesn't make it right. You right. know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, um, you just get stuck in the everyday rat race of a regular job and, you know, I don't know. It's just mentally, you know, with being, with coming to terms with all these, 
all these real reasons why I hadn't been successful at life and my life just, it would seem to be going great for a minute and then I'd fall back 20 steps, you know, get, get ahead 10 steps, fall back 20. And it was just this constant pattern. And, you know, they say the definition of insanity is to keep doing something over and over and, and you still keep getting the same results right. at, at, I was like, I was 39 years old, 38, 39 years old. And, and I was just reflecting back like, okay, there's gotta be another reason why this keeps happening. And, and when I started evaluating my life, it all came back to me and, um, common denominator, correct. You create these habits and these, and these ways that you go about life and you get set in your ways as you know, you've probably heard a million times that one person that's set in their ways and they can't think outside the box. And, you know, they're just stubborn is what it comes down to. And, um, so I started reflecting back on myself and, at the time I was in a relationship, I thought it was where I was supposed to be. Um, life was great, I thought, uh, in regards to financially. And, you know, I grew up poor in Alabama. So to, to be financially secure and in, 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 in this relationship and, you know, you have all the material things that you think you've always wanted. Um, and about a month and a half before the wedding, I won't get into all the details, but about a month and a half before the wedding, I walked away. Um, had to do with my children and the acceptance of them. And I made a decision. Uh, and that was probably at the time, the hardest decision I'd ever made in my life. Cause you question whether you're doing the right thing. You know, you've invested all this time and effort and energy into this relationship. And now I'm just going to walk away like a month and a half before the wedding. And, um, that single decision changed the trajectory of my life forever. Um, I walked away from that relationship with hardly any money. I was broke. I didn't know what I was going to do still, you know, questioning whether I made the right decision or not. And then these ridiculous thoughts start creeping in your head. Um, so going back to my mother, um, we talked about, you know, her, she, uh, she suffered from mental illness. Um, she was bipolar on any type of medication you could think of. And this was later in her life. And over about a 10 year span, she went from being my mother to somebody I didn't recognize or know. And um, she took her own life about six years ago. So um, knowing what happened with my mother and knowing that part of self-reflection is like your whole life. If somebody says, you're just like your mother, you're like, no, I'm not. What are you talking about? You, know, you get all mm -hmm. defensive. But then I started realizing I'm just like my mother. Every everything that I've done in my life and the pattern that I've followed is exactly the same pattern my mother followed. And I needed to do something about it. And so when the the ridiculous thoughts start creeping in and that all that is to me was me feeling sorry for myself mm -hmm. right that self-pity the the same thing that's held me back my whole life at that point and um so i um I, you know what do i do right well i need to check let me check myself into a hospital like just to get away just to decompress and step away and and it was suggested to me to go to this place in scottsdale um uh mental clinic or whatever you want to call it and and i checked myself in and what i didn't realize is that once you check yourself in you're under the doctor's care and you can't go anywhere so that first night was like what am i doing here like these people are legitimately like they've like just like you see on the movies and i wanted to get out i made i tried to make as many phone calls as i could but i li literally you can't even leave until the doctor meets with you and evaluates you like at that moment you're under their care um, and so I was forced to stay in there. So then I finally got a room after one day of being in there and, uh, I'm, I'm, I walk in and they take your string out of your, your pants and your shoestrings. And I'm like, what the hell is going on? 
you know, and uh, I didn't realize what I'd gotten myself into. And then I'm in the room and the guy they had me in the room with had burned his parents' house down. So I slept with my back to the wall. Needless to say, I was, I was a little nervous. And um, so the next day I, I meet with the doctor again and I'm like, look, you, you got to let me out of here. Like, I, I don't belong here. I made a mistake by checking myself in. And um, he said no. And he basically said, you're under my care until I say that, you know, I feel like you're well enough to leave. Well, what did I do? I lost my temper. Right. Mm. And he looks at me and he goes, that's exactly why you're staying in here. And um, so for the first full day, I just I didn't do anything. I didn't participate in all the stuff that I thought was silly. This is ridiculous. I don't belong here. And uh, but then I realized, okay, if I'm getting out of here, I got to play this game. Right. That's how I looked at it. And so I went to that first meeting the next day. Right. And as I'm sitting there and they're going around the room and everybody's talking about themselves, what I quickly realized was my problems are nothing compared to these people in this room. Like the compassion that I felt at that, at the moments that these people were telling their stories and I couldn't even relate it to my life. My life hadn't even been close as, as many of the things that I looked at as being terrible and used as a crutch in my whole life. I'm looking at these people telling their stories and I'm like, Holy shit. Like, my life has been great. I should have no reason to complain. Well, 15 days is how long I had to stay in there. And I went to classes every day. And it was almost embarrassing to share my stuff, right? Um, but what I learned was, like I just said, that I have nothing to complain about in life. I should be grateful that I haven't gone through half the stuff that these people have gone through that you know my life could have been a lot worse right and mm-hmm. and it and, and what it taught me was if i just need to start looking for all the positive things there's always something positive out of everything negative right i, right. I truly believe that you can no matter how bad it is there's always something good that comes out of it whether it's a lesson that you learn about life or or whatever, about yourself or about yourself yeah. and um so and i know it's cliche but the day i got out of there i've never been to prison thank god or jail or anything else like and that you could have i could have yeah. there's been many a situations where i could have but i never had and I, you know they always say like when you get when when somebody gets out they're like oh the trees look different and the sky looked different they were just so grateful to be out that's honestly how i felt that day i was like you know what i don't know how i'm going to do it but i'm, I'm going to figure myself out i'm going to learn about myself i'm going to get my life right mentally and then i'm going to find what i love to do and i'm just going to do it and, um, you know, a lot easier said than done, but, uh, but I, I knew that if I just kept plugging away and, and try to take one day at a time and, and, and one step in front of the other, you know, one foot in front of the other, that hopefully I'd get there. And, um, so that's, uh, that's how I got to where I'm at today. But that, that was the moment that changed my life was, was going into that place and I was 39 years old. So it's never too late to turn 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 your life around or, or change and, and 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 it all it took was uh you know just me sitting down and lot and just being honest with myself you know um just being 100 percent honest with myself and going okay these are your these are your attributes that have held you back your whole life let's figure out how to correct them turn them around or get rid of them all together you know um and so um i I still had a job. You know, that's another thing I was blessed. I, I still had a job. I could go back to a job. So I went back to my job. I was a logistics broker. Um, I, was, I was good at it and uh, thought I loved it. But it was that 
all the the stuff going through my head at that time and how my life I was like you know what as cliche as this sounds too it's you only you only get one shot at this right, right? Mm-hmm. like you know you only get one shot at life so okay let me let me figure out what what's gonna like I mean who doesn't want to make money and be successful and and I never really focused in on you know that being an entrepreneur or just being a business owner or anything like that my whole life I was under the mindset you had to work for somebody well that's kind of our part of our conditioning too uh do you know how weird it is that I'm sitting here actually sharing all this? Like, it's just odd to get it out, knowing that more than just my friends or family or closest people are going to hear this. And people that know me when they when they people that know me when they when when they ask me questions about my life and I tell them I'm, I've always been an open book, um, never really been ashamed of my past. Uh, you know, they always tell me you should write a book about this. I'm like, dude, my life is like, what are you talking you, you about? Should. It's so boring. Like, no, it isn't because you're like, beginning. Who am I? Like, I'm nobody. Like, I'm just some dude going through life like everybody else. So, okay, well, let's let's stay right here with this because you're some dude telling your story. And again, we started this whole thing off with men not really being open and sharing their stories because it's difficult for them, first of all, to have feelings and to understand that it's okay to share these things because generations ago men weren't allowed to even now some people frown upon it but it's becoming more and more acceptable for men to tell their stories and and something i live my life by is it doesn't matter who the story comes from it's your story you're sharing you're putting it out there because you never know who's going to be listening who's going to be reading something that you write or you know listening to the show and they're going to look at it as an instruction manual for themselves because I mean, think about this. Generations ago, with our parents, even grandparents, you talk about checking yourself into a mental health facility. What's the first thing you do? Oh, no, no, no. we got to sweep that under the carpet. We can't let anyone know this is going on in our family. I mean, back then, it was an insane asylum. That was the nicest name they could come up with. And now, thanks to, you know, being more politically correct and nicer about terminology, we say a mental health clinic. But the fact that you're here and you're sharing this is the place that we finally come to in this world in 2022 where men can actually say, I've been through this shit. I don't have to be silent anymore. And for you men out there, I'm here with you. I'm, I'm a buddy. You know, th- this is how we get through shit. It's called peer support. And I see it a lot in the first responders community. Um, it used to be shoved under the rug because they had to compartmentalize going from job to job call to call, whether it's firefighters or police officers, and we expect them to be able to handle stuff. But these are men and women that are like you and me. We're human beings. So we're going through this shit. How do we deal with it? How do we get it out of our soul? Because this stuff gets trapped in our soul. And like you said, we use it as a crutch. So the fact that you're actually sitting here and talking openly about what you've been through, I think is a beautiful thing because you're a man, first of all. And that is something I appreciate more than anything is that you're sitting here with me and you trust me enough to be open with me and the audience. So thank you for that. Oh, you're welcome. <laughs> I, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's not so much, it's not like a, a, a sign of being weak to talk about your struggles, right? It doesn't mean I'm, I'm soft or anything else. I mean, it's just being honest, right? right. Um, and come on, like, if you, if you really want to know the truth, like, all guys talk about this stuff, just not with women. You know what I mean? True. It's it's usually with their with their homies or whoever, you know. 
And then if, if the conversation usually ends with, hey, man, but don't tell anybody this. You know what I mean? So um, it's just being it's just being honest. I mean, there's no other way to put it. Just just being open and honest and being real. Right. And and uh, I think that um, if I've learned one thing over the last five or six years, it's that honesty is like I, I keep using this word cliche as it is, is is definitely the best policy. And it keeps you burden free. True. Right. Because you can always say, hey, I told you, you know what I mean? Um, so honesty is always the best key. I know that's so corny, though. No, God, it's true. But because, it's true. Because know? the more lies you tell, the more you have to lie in order to cover the next lie. And yes. eventually it comes out. So why not just be honest about it? And and I'm just speaking from personal experience. You know what I mean? Um, just um, I've, I've been that guy that lied to cover up another lie. And you don't think that lies that big. But then. 20 lies down the line you don't even know what the hell you lied about you don't even know what the truth is anymore you know what i mean um and and that's another that was another big thing when i said coming to terms with like all my faults and and what's what's you know held me back my whole life that's a that's a that's a huge fault you know even like stretching the truth on a story or you know whatever it may be it just it's so dumb and and i i look back and and think to myself like god what like i was an idiot like I would not even be friends with who I was six years ago, so um, it's just kind of funny to sit back and reflect and think like how much you can change no matter no matter how late in life it is, you know. Um, well, you're not dead yet, so you, no, there's all the opportunity no, still, in the world. I've still got you know I, I've, I've been no honesty. My forties have been the best, right? I freaking love the forties. You get out of your head more. You understand things a lot more that are going on in oh, life. Oh, God, yeah. And and life is just more fun at 40 because of all the stuff you know. You know what I mean? Um, I don't know. I just love 40. 40 has been the, the best so far for me. Um, I wouldn't trade it for any other time period in my life. So That's what was kind of surprising when I met you and we started the conversation off the air and I'm looking at you going, God, he's so young. How did he come up with that? <laughs> because, you know, a lot of times we don't, go into that phase in our life when we have to start working on ourselves, the whole self-love and self-care and, and being responsible and taking responsibility for our own shit and figuring things out. A lot of times we don't see that happen until a lot later in life. And for me, you know, it's kind of been sprinkled in off and on through the years, but it really came to a head when I was 52. I learned what self-love really was. And it took a good friend of mine to point it out. Do you realize that that was the moment you loved yourself completely? And I'm like, Oh, shit, what a revelation. Mm-hmm. I had no clue that all this work that I had done in the previous years, got I was sliding back again. And then just that one moment in time when I finally decided enough was enough. And it's like, oh, wake up call. So the fact that you've actually done it a lot younger than many of us, that just means moving forward, it's going to be that much better for you. And that's what was mind blowing to me when we had that discussion off the air. I'm like, oh, what? You got to be kidding me. And it just, I thought you were a life coach, you know, I really <laughs> did just, funny. just because, you know, I, I t- definitely don't think of myself as a life coach, not even, well, a lot of what you talk about and a lot of what you say is real life. And it talks, you know, you talk about the transformation you've been making. So if you think I'm a life coach or that I sounded like a life coach, imagine if everybody was open and honest. Exactly. You know what I mean? Like yeah. we'd all be helping each other out. I know that sounds corny, but. Like, that's kind of funny if you think about it, you know? Real conversations. Like, just be real and have real conversations and be open and honest, and we all become each other's life coaches. Yeah, exactly. In theory, life would be better, wouldn't it? Yes, it would. (laughs) You got that right. 
Now I'm going to take you a little back because we've gone through pretty much a lot of stuff already and we're into the future part, but I want to go back just a little bit and I want to touch on your mom's suicide. I mm-hmm. know I know this may not be an easy topic for you to talk about because again, she was your only source. You know, she was your mom and dad taking care of you through your life and then the suicide happened. So tell me your relationship with her when this happened and how it affected you. So so my relationship with my mother at the time of her death was, I mean, you could say it was non-existent. Um, you know, how I talked about before how she started taking every kind of SSRI and, and, and Xanax and um, Kalatapins, you name it. And she would mix them. She became an alcoholic, too. So she would mix them in what she called a vodka smoothie. And um, she would drink these things like it was, you know, water. And uh, it truly fried her brain over a 10-year period um, to the point where I, she harassed me all the time. I'd moved to Arizona by then. She was still back in Alabama. And she would call me randomly and just leave me horrible voice messages about I'm a terrible father, so forth and so on. And, and for the record, I haven't been the greatest father ever, um, but I do love my kids. And at the time, both my children were living with me. I had custody of them. So... Um, my oldest son was in high school and my, my youngest biological son was, was in, um, elementary school. So she would call and harass me, um, and tell me how horrible of a father I was. So I would block her number. She'd get a new number and I'd get a random call a couple weeks later. And it's just the same repetitive cycle. So, uh, I cut her off essentially. Like I just didn't want that in my life. So then she started on Facebook and social media hounding my oldest son, calling his school, um, just all kinds of crazy stuff where she would have, I lived in Anthem at the time. And I mean, I've, I'm, I'm prior service military too. So I'm, I'm pretty neat and well organized. You're not going to walk into my, at the time you weren't walking into my apartment and it, it wasn't like neat spotless and, and the refrigerator always had food. And I'm only saying that because she would call CPS, um, and they would show up and I'm like, and it, it just became this repetitive, like, you know, it's us again, you know, but they have to come, right? That's, that's there. They can't. So it, it just became, uh, like a joke almost. And, um, so then I'd say, uh, she, she would, she changed her number three or four times, um, and would do this. And, um, one morning at like five, five AM, I get a call, random numbers, Alabama area code. Don't answer it. Calls back. Don't answer it. I get up, I go to work. And about 9.30 that morning, I get a message from my aunt, and uh, she was, um, she left a voicemail. Uh, down, like, William is what I go by now, but everybody back home calls me Billy. Um, it's short for William. So she, she left a message, Billy, I'm sorry. You know, and all she kept saying was she was sorry. And then I'm at work. I'm just, I figured it had something to do with my mom, but because my mom had been going over there harassing my grandmother and my aunt too. And um, so I just like whatever and uh phone rings again it's my aunt so i pick it up you know i'm like what you know i go outside at work on the balcony so i'm not around anybody and she proceeds to tell me that my mom had just committed suicide in the driveway Mm. at my grandmother's house in her car and uh my grandmother was the one you know that found her uh and i it's not many people that know this either um but this is the positive out of the negative right uh, one of the many ones I've told myself over since it's happened over the last six years. Um, I, I'm the one who cleaned out the car and found this. Well, my aunt helped me clean out the car, but I got all her personal belongings out of there. 
Um, and there was a suicide note in there, one to my oldest son, which he doesn't know about to this day. And if you listen to your show, I guess he will now. But um, And the second one was just a random one. And it detailed how she was going to go kill my aunt and my grandmother. Oh, my. So my grandmother luckily did not let her in the house that day when she came over, which is very unlike my grandmother either. Um, my grandmother's just a very loving, compassionate person, but she was frustrated. And her frustration probably saved her and my aunt's life. So, um, you know, things could have been a lot worse. But that's how far my mother had gone off the deep end. Like, it's, I don't even look at that person as being my mother, though. You know what I mean? Like, right. that was somebody completely different. Um, but, yeah, and uh, I really, I don't, in a, in a strange way, when you cut somebody off, you cut them off long enough and they do crazy enough stuff. It's almost like they die in your head anyway. Right, that version. So when it happened, yeah, I was, I was, I was, I think I was in shock more than anything um, after it happened. Um, but I really, I've really never mourned. And, and now, you know, six years later, there are moments every once in a while where I'll see a picture, I'll hear a, an 80s song, you know, like some Duran Duran. It makes me think of being at the beach with my mom, you know, like that, that those emotions come to the forefront. Um, but I, I don't let it control me at all. Right. And, and, there is still that mechanism that blocks things out. So, you know, there's nothing I can do about it. So some things need to be blocked. You, can't, would, you yeah. just got to move on, right? So I think that's one of them that I'm okay with it being a blocked memory, you know? Because um, at, at this point, it has no bearing on my future or my life. So, you know, it's over. It's done. There's nothing I can do about it except learn from her mistakes, which I did. And learning from her mistakes is what helped me change my life. So, Isn't that great, though? They can even though they you become indifferent almost to the relationship but they're still your parents but it's indifference because that's how you have to get past things and people always say get over it but you don't ever really truly get over anything you just get through it and get past it past it, it yeah because you you have to remember where you've been what has happened and you know the fact that she changed so dramatically you're correct in saying that you feel like she died on you beforehand because we don't recognize this new version of the person and it's not a very it doesn't paint them in a very good light so you have to do what you have to do in your own mind and you're right that the mind does block out things and sometimes we are better off without that (laughs) coming to the surface yep i mean isn't that what depression is though is dwelling on the things that you can't change and just sitting there thinking to yourself i wish it hadn't happened you know what i mean like for me that's what my depression was right i can't speak for anybody else and that would be wrong for me to speak for anybody else but for me um my depression was always you know feeling sorry for myself like you know i grew up without a father my mom committed suicide you know i never really had that core family like you see you know a lot of other people having right so you know um i don't know so Let's take a look at what's going on in your life now. I mean, you've made leaps and bounds. You got out after 15 days, and you decided to take your life back. So let's talk about the wonderful things that you're doing in your life now to actually move forward. And, you know, every day is a struggle. Oh, yeah. Every day is. But a good struggle now. Exactly, because you understand. Yes. You know, I tell people it's not the hurting pain. You're now in the healing pain. How do you move through that? Where do you go from here? So let's let's talk about where you are now in life, what's going on with you, and, and how you've motivated yourself to actually do something that you enjoy. Yes. So all the things that I talked about before, um, 
you know, I think where I left off with getting out was I still had a job. So I, I went back to that job as a logistics broker. And, um, you know, I was like I said, I was good at it and, and I thought it was fun. Um, but I got bored of it, bored with it, I guess. You know, and, and that's a, that's another thing I want to hit on. So my whole life I had like I've probably had 30 jobs and that includes the eight years I spent in the military. Right. What branch? Uh, Air Force. Thank you. Air Force. family. Hey, it was uh, it was a lot of fun. Um, but. I, I just was I was never happy with what I was doing. So if I wasn't happy with what I was doing, with an exception to the military, you just can't walk away when you want to. Um, you know, I always quit. I'd quit a job if I didn't like it. You know, there's always another job. But and so once again, you know, I'm good at something. I'm doing it. I'm making decent money, but I'm not happy. Right. So I just I was like, you know what? And what I was doing, I figured I'd go do it out on my own. I didn't have to work for somebody. If I'm going to make somebody money, I'm going to make it for myself. Um, you know? And so I quit my job as a logistics broker, opened my own little logistics company, um, central Phoenix and, um, had it for about a year and a half. And every day I woke up and I was miserable. I hated it. Absolutely hated it. I wasn't happy. Um, yeah, you're your own boss, but I just didn't love what I did. Like I just, I'd, I guess I'd grown to hate it, right? So um, I decided that I was going to shut my logistics company down and was going to pursue filming uh, and shooting video for a living. Um, and at this point, I'd shot photography as a hobby, not not even close to doing anything professional, never been paid. It was just a hobby, something I enjoyed doing. Um, and that's all I'd ever done, right? But But in my head, I'm like, you know what? I'm going to do this. And as a kid, uh, I always wanted to be the next Hype Williams. Like, I loved music videos as a kid. And um, so I'm like, you know what? And keep in mind, this is at 39. So imagine the people around me looking at me like, what the hell is wrong with this guy? Midlife crisis. Um, but I, uh, I decided to shut my logistics company down and pursue this. Had no idea how I was going to do it. Um, I never even shot a video at the time. Keep that in mind. I never even had a, I didn't even have a camera. So think of how crazy this is. 39 <laughs> years old, I'm going to shut my company down and pursue video. The first video I ever shot was on an iPhone 8 Plus. How silly is that? It's on your cell phone. We do that every day. Um, but something about that one silly ass video sparked this, like, I can do this. And I don't know why. And even looking back on it now, I look back at it like, God, I was a nut. Like, who the <laughs> hell in their right mind? You know, um, but the difference with this for the first time in my life, I love this. I love this shit. Like I loved it so much that I would, I'd give up sports. I'd give up watching TV. I'd like damn near willing to give up anything except my family, um, to do this. Uh, and I, it, it almost even cost me that, um, just because I got so just laser focused on, I'm doing this. This is what's making me happy. This is what I, I didn't even know I had a talent for it, right? And so, yes, first one's on a phone, but my lady, I, I want to just say this, Adicelli has literally held me down as a grown-ass man for the first <laughs> two years of me chasing that dream. Um, she bought me my first real camera that I could shoot video on, and she supported me the whole way. Now, we fought, we argued. Like I said, it almost cost us our relationship because – 
I'm stubborn sometimes, to be honest with you. And um, uh, I got so caught up with trying to do this that, you know, you forget what's really important. So I, I had to learn how to uh, manage my time, which I'm still not good at. But I learned how to manage it a lot better than I did before. And um, I would just be so focused on studying this and studying that and watching everything I could. I call it YouTube University. And I swear <laughs> to God, I taught myself. I, everything I do now is, is all self-taught from sound design to filming to editing to color grading to you name it within video, creating ads. Like I learned about marketing through Paul, um, you know, and uh, like I've just cons- been consumed by this whole entire industry, found my niche like I talked about on Paul's podcast and just went with it. Um, and it's just remarkable how when you're, I call it being so stubborn, like I, I was so stubborn that nobody was going to tell me I couldn't do this. Mm-hmm. And and then there's part of me that's like, I'm old in my head, you know, I'm older, like I'm not 20 anymore. You know, um, I feel like I was behind the eight ball. So in order to get caught up to where I think I should be, like, I just had to like put 1000% energy and time into this craft and learn it upside down and inside out and shoot everything i possibly could or let me film everything i possibly could (laughs) let me retract it film everything i possibly could because you know practice and repetition and and it's how your hands-on is how i learn the best but i um i watched everything you could possibly watch about video and editing and i mean just my whole life has been consumed with it now uh for for the last four or five years and or three or four four or five i lose track it's all been a blur to be honest with you but um, now I have, um, a small production company. I'm starting to build my team. Um, I went from, you know, two years ago, uh, getting my first paid work to now, um, I mean, obviously everything's paid. It's, I have a, I have a legit company now, right. you know? Um, and it's like, I look back on it and I'm like, how did I even get here? Like, I, I really don't even, like, I didn't realize it. I wasn't. You know, they say sit back and enjoy the journey. I didn't have time to enjoy it. Like I had a I had a goal and I had to get somewhere and I'm still not there yet. Um, but I've gotten to the point now where I have the time where I can do things like this with you or collaborate with other people on projects. Um, but at the same time, I'm still trying to grow my business. And um, it's been a lot of people in my life along th- this journey um, that have helped me, uh, whether it was motivationally or um you know, giving you a kick in the ass and, uh, but nobody more than, than my lady. And, um, you know, I talked about changing as who you were. Well, she's taught me and she didn't teach me. Let me rephrase this. I love that woman so much that it made me reflect on that side of myself as well. Relationship side and how you treat the people that you say you love. Right. Um, and I can honestly say I've never loved anybody. Like I love this woman. Um, she literally has changed my life in so many ways just by inspiring and motivating me. And uh, I love that. It's great to have somebody who believes yes. in you because she put her, her she put her belief system and, in you. And there are many times where she should have walked away. Trust me on this. I'm not going to get into the details. No, I didn't cheat. I have cheated on or anything like that. But <laughs> there there were there were things that I put her through that nobody should have ever stayed there for. Um and she stuck with me not only through those personal issues, but also this journey I've been on to create this this production company, this multimedia company. Um, and and right now I'm in the, the hardest part of it. This is the transition. This is where I feel like I either sink or swim. 
you know, you start getting the bigger contracts and the bigger clients and the, and the, and the, and the commercial ad shoots and the corporate shoots. Um, but now my mind shifted to, to running the company and finding the pieces to help me grow because I can't do it all by myself. So my time is, I mean, it's like I don't have any uh, for the most part, um, except for, you know, like I'm doing the podcast, of course. But yeah, but, it, but in general, like I, uh, you know, she still supports me, but she understands now. She gets it. And she, the, the biggest thing is she believes in me. Like she never didn't believe in me, but there were times where I thought she didn't just because she was giving me that kick in the ass that I needed, you know. She was being real with me. Tough love. And and I would fight with her about it. Like, I would argue with her, knowing that she's dead ass right, just because, like, I had some ego problem or, like, I was being the, the dude, right? And then after we would argue, I'd sit back and go, damn, she's right. Like, shit. Well, you know this is recorded. She's going to hold this oh, over yeah, your head for hold, the rest of your oh, life. No, she already knows this. I've told her all this <laughs> stuff. Um, you know, and, and that's part of why I love her so much. She knows me. Like, she knows me so well, she'll call me out on all my bullshit. And I would be in denial the majority of our relationship. And that bothered her the most. It's almost like, I know you know the truth, but you're still lying about it. You know what I mean? And you're lying Mm -hmm. to yourself, and you're lying to me trying to, you know, at like, it's not what you're doing, or it's, you know, whatever it may be. And, And so it was seeing that keeping the stupid shit from her was doing worse harm to our relationship than just about anything because it made her question well damn if he's keeping this from me he's not telling me this he's lying to me about this what else is he keeping from me trust right Mm -hmm. and and the fact of the matter is it wasn't really i wasn't really keeping any deep dark secrets it was just that i held everything in and i didn't want to talk about it whether it i mean shit everything from finances to you name it if i didn't want to talk about it i avoided it right and that bothered her too but all that's doing is putting all these other problems on the back burner, you know, hey, and I uh, and, th- and this is just recent. Right. Like I didn't I didn't cross this bridge until like two months ago where we just sat down and I just laid it all out. I became an open book and everything that, you know, all this, the, whether it be something big or small or whatever, you just go, you know what, you're right. And you just I, I laid it all out like you're right about damn near 99 percent of the stuff you call me out on. Um, yes, I do. Yes, I do this. And yes, I've done this. And yes, I should do this better. And yes, I should do that better. And yes, I've procrastinated in this area. You know what I mean? Uh, all the mm-hmm. stuff that we fought about, you know, I just said, you're right about it all. Let's figure out how to fix it together. Like, help me. Like, you know what I mean? Like, um, I need you. Let's work together on this. And, um, as a couple, you know, instead of me trying to battle my own shit myself and her wondering what the hell's going on with me and feeling kind of like she's left out that's not a partnership that's not like you're supposed to be in this together if you're and and we're engaged you know so our wedding october 23rd of this year we actually that's the plan now so we moved it up we just want to get it done um side note so um congratulations thank you so and and you know at the end of the day if i hadn't if we hadn't crossed that bridge um all the bridges we crossed like there's no reason we should be getting married if i can't be honest and open with you like marriage is i mean what's the point you know um it's just not going to last you know that's why that's why every relationship before her never lasted and then also nobody ever really put up with my shit before nobody ever really stood by my side i felt like and and supported me 100 percent in a lot of my crazy ideas and yeah some of them are crazy but but she just you know they call ride or die right Mm -hmm. and that's who she is to me uh 
above my grandmother and everybody else. She's the most amazing woman I've ever met. And so I realized if I'm going to keep this amazing woman who has helped me get to where I'm at, I think I need to turn around and start doing the right things and start treating her more like a, a life you know, partner, somebody I'm going to spend the rest of my life with and, and what, a, what a definition of a wife would be than just a buddy. You know, somebody you can lie to when you want to and, you know, you're not honest with and like, what are they even there for? Why, why'd she even stay? You know, so I even sit back and think of that. Like, God, I'm lucky she hung around long enough, you know, so. Wow. You know, that life coach, can we add that to your title? Nah, that's just being, Couple. that's just, that's just keeping it. I mean, keeping it real, I guess that's just yeah, being honest. couples coaching because, you know, a lot of couples don't even look at it that way. They, they stray, they do things, they don't communicate, they don't share. And that's. I see that with way, the way you talk. I mean, you guys can't see his face. I know that. You can hear it in his voice, but I see it in his face, what she has done for him. It's part of your transformation. And I think it's great because I I think you guys are going to have a pretty long life ahead of you as a couple because I don't see too many couples actually facing things head on like that. They ignore a lot and you know, it's just everybody ends up in misery. So you're right. You got to be honest. And I still struggle with it. There, there are times where during the day, you know, maybe there's a business decision that I make that I know she's going to be iffy about. Right. And she'll ask me, Hey, how was your day? What about this? What happened with this? And for a split second, I'm like, shit, do I say something about this? Do I not? At the end of the day, you need to say something about it because Three weeks from now, when you bring it up and she's like, you didn't tell me that. You're like, what? You know, in the past, I'd have been like, yeah, I did. Like, you know, and, uh, just being stupid, like lying about dumb shit. And uh, so, you know, I don't want to ever be put in the situation where I'm having to pull myself out of a hole I've dug. Right. I want to stay mm-hmm. above ground. So to stay above ground, I just, you know, you got to tell her. I got to tell her, hey, yeah, you're going to hate me for this or you might be mad or you might be upset. I think the thing she gets upset about the most is the million Amazon packages that come in. <laughs> camera gears. Well, more, more and more camera gears. So. You know, you're running a business, but, so that's what it's about. Yeah, but she's just she's great, and uh, she's amazing. Um, I, I could not have gotten to where I got without her. So, so we'll thank her for uh, being there for you. Yes, yes. So, you know, you've really opened up a lot on this show, and I think we're pretty much coming to a close. I should release you of your duty here. (laughs) You know, that military thing. Hope you can put all this together and make sense of it, because I was all over the place. I think you're going to be just fine. So let's talk just a few minutes about your business so everybody knows what you do. Okay. And let everyone know how to find you. So currently the website's under construction. Um, if you want to find me, you can email me at william at c2promedia.com. Uh, whatever type of work you're needing, uh, video work, ads, commercials, whatever it may be, websites, logos, you name it. Um, if you want some examples of our work, I can shoot it over to you. Website should be up in probably another month. Um, we're shooting some ads and commercials for C2 Pro Media, my company as well, um, currently in the process of doing that. So um, hopefully you'll be seeing us a lot more out there. Um, But what we do is we do commercial ad shoots. We do marketing. Um, We, we've partnered with some great, we have some great marketing partners that we've, we work with uh, Paul being one of them. Um, And uh, you know, we do websites, uh, but uh, logos, like I said, we do, we do it all, but the main focus is the commercial and ad space. Um, Content is King right now and, and everything's video. Um, and, uh, I just think it's critical to the growth of, 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 of your business, but 
keeping that in mind, you can have the greatest video in the world. It's got to be marketed properly, right? True. Some people have to see it for it to work. So that's why I kind of jumped into the marketing side, too. I just felt like it went hand in hand with the video stuff. But we do commercials, ads. We do corporate videos, um, any internal company videos from training videos, safety videos, whatever you need, corporate needs. We do it all. Um, and, and then me personally, I enjoy shooting weddings. So I do that kind of like a little side thing. I mean, why wouldn't you want to work on the happiest, like it's the happiest environment you can be in at that moment. It's these, these, these couples happiest day in their life. So it's just a lot of fun. It's a lot of fun to put them together. Um, I call them wedding movies cause I try <laughs> to be a little different with them. And I love what you do. I've seen a few of them and it's pretty cool. So yeah, th- I mean, that's what we do in a nutshell. Um, and you know what? On Get Real, we don't do a lot of advertising for people. But when I see someone who's living their passion and living their best life, that's why we talk about what you're doing. Because you have found that fire within you to do this. And that's what Get Real is all about. Because it's not just what happens in our life and what we go through, but it's how we make a difference in the world. That's why it's called the collective, the movers, shakers, and difference makers. We're doing things in the world to help other people and for you being here today will and sharing your story with everyone i'm sure you're going to touch not just the women listening but a lot of the men who have been down some of the same roads you have and they understand that it's okay to be honest and open and to share things and to be vulnerable and to also appreciate the people you have in your life and treat those relationships responsibly so again I can't thank you enough for being here today and for sharing with us. So thank you. Oh, you're welcome. I've had a lot of fun. I'll, I enjoy this a lot. Well, now this is your second podcast. Yes, so we're I'm addicted. Ke- <laughs> well, guys, as always, thanks for listening. Take care, and we'll catch you next time. Thanks for listening to Get Real with Robin. Join Robin Cote and her co-hosts, known as The Collective, each week as they delve into subject matters most are afraid to talk about, but really need to hear. Join us next week here on Star Worldwide Networks as we continue to get real.